Turn with me now in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read briefly from Hebrews chapter 10. This is, if you're paying attention to the calendar, not the first Lord's Day of the month. It is the last Lord's Day of the month. But as I announced at the beginning of the service, I will not be here next Lord's Day for the first Lord's Day of the month. So we've moved the Lord's Supper up one week, and we've moved the Psalm Sermon up one week. And so we'll look this morning at Psalm 50, our Psalm of the Month, for the month of October, Psalm 50. But to get a little context for that psalm, let's first look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 31. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For If we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, The Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Amen. The author to the book of Hebrews presents us with two striking polarities that seem almost in paradox. On the one hand, these final verses hold up for us a frightening prospect. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He is one who reserves vengeance for himself. He is a holy God, full of hot wrath, who will surely judge his own people. Fiery indignation, a fierce and fearful expectation of judgment. These are not pleasant sounding prospects, are they? And yet, it is in contrast to this condition that the book of Hebrews says to us in verse 19, 
having boldness to enter the holiest, let us draw near. What did you do when your parents were furious with you? Did you draw near? This is what we are told about our God. A God of vengeance, a God of wrath, a God of justice. And we are told that the solution to this problem is come to Him. Draw near to Him. Do not be afraid. Come and find salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ. That veil that was torn His flesh. There we will be cleansed, adopted, welcomed, and brought into the family. With this in mind, turn back with me to Psalm 50. Our Psalm of the Month, Psalm 50. This is a Psalm of Asaph, not among the more familiar Psalm writers, something of a friend or companion of David, writing along with the sons of Korah in that holy prophetic psalm writing ministry that David had under David's oversight. Psalm 50. Here again, the word of the Lord. The Psalm of Asaph. The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. Fire shall devour before him. And it shall be a very tempest it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine in all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes? Or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? When you saw a thief, you consented with him, and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother, you slander your own mother's son. 
These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Amen. And amen. It is sometimes an unpleasant thing to be surprised, isn't it? Isn't it sometimes alarming to be taken unaware? You know when you're zipping along the highway? You know, with the flow of traffic? And you crest the hill and there behind the clump of trees sits the cop car? And your speedometer has an inverse relationship with your heart rate? As your speed drops and your heart rate climbs? It's unpleasant to be surprised. You know when you're sent up to your room to clean it, but the toys are just too much fun and the books are just too interesting and the dirty clothes are just too numerous to count? And then all of a sudden in the doorway appears mom or dad. And it's very unpleasant to be surprised. Yes? Sometimes it is unpleasant to be surprised. And because this is true, Asaph gives us Psalm 50. A psalm that warns us, that alerts us, that God is coming to judge the world. Indeed, He's coming to judge His own people. And so we should be ready. Beloved, this is the truth of God for us. In fact, I submit to you, though it doesn't seem to be so on the surface, this is good news. For us, as we shall see in the psalm, God is coming to judge. Let us get ready by trusting Jesus. Beloved, this is the truth for us. This is what we today should learn and we this week should practice that God is coming to judge. So let us get ready by trusting Jesus. Notice at the beginning of the psalm, verses 1 through 3, Asaph issues a warning. He tells the audience, the church of Jesus Christ, that God is coming. The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He picks one of my favorite metaphors to illustrate for us what the coming of God is like. It's not only one of my favorite metaphors because I like the poetry of it, it's because it's my favorite natural event. It's called dawn. You see, the, son, the sons of Korah, I knew I was going to do that. We've been preaching from the sons of Korah for the last ten psalms. Asaph points to the dawn and says that like the rising of the sun in the east is the coming of God. He comes with this violent illumination. He comes with this loud and not silent appearance. Like the rising of the sun to its going down. 
he comes with an inescapable, undeniable appearance. Just as no human this morning woke up and said, I wonder if we'll have sun today. So it is that when God comes, no one will say, I wonder if there's a God. The kind of doubt and the kind of bewilderment that we suffer here in the shadows of the night of this life are all dispelled with the rising of the Son of God. That when He appears on the horizon at the birth of the new heavens and the new earth, it becomes an undeniable, inescapable, irrefutable fact. There is a God, and He is not silent. There is a God, and He is coming. He calls to the earth. He gathers together every occupant that they should know His coming. He shines forth out of Zion the perfection of beauty. Most often in the Scriptures, Zion is a reference to the church. But I think here it refers actually to the heavens itself. He comes out of that heavenly church. He comes out of that heavenly abode. And He comes with a radiant perfection of beauty. A light that illumines all that is around us. In this, my friends, we should hope. When you look at the darkness of this world, do not despair. Dawn is coming. When you look at the darkness of your own heart, and that relentless struggle with sin with which you must deal every day, do not lose heart. Dawn is coming. God is coming, and with Him comes light. Let us take comfort in this. But also let us be warned. What does light do to darkness? It dispels it. It chases it away. Friends, if God is going to come into our world and He's going to come with the radiant light of dawn, then you can be sure all your secret sins will be laid exposed. There is no passing, fleeting, evil thought that He shall not know. There is no distracted, world-entrenched affection or desire in your heart that he will not discover. Beloved, he comes with light like the dawn. And he will dispel all the darkness that is in this world. But he also comes with purpose. Notice in verses 4 through 6, he says that he comes with a specific purpose. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. He speaks to the heavenly powers. He speaks to the earthly powers. And he tells them, gather my saints together before me. He comes into the world, not indiscriminately for all who are in the world, but specifically for his people. That is, his saints. Those who are sanctified. Those who are set apart. Those who are unique out of the human race. Specifically in verse 5, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Those who have entered into a relationship with God through the sacrifice. That one has died that these sinners might now be called saints. Of course, within context, Asaph is imagining a ram, a bull, a goat. Some kind of animal that was laid on the altar to atone for sin. But we know that it is truly the Lamb of God to whom this speaks. 
The covenant relationship that we can have with God, the fellowship with which we can call Him Father, rests on the death of Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifice that we set on the altar. Our covenant with God is made by sacrifice. Not ours, but Christ's. He is the sacrifice that has brought us into fellowship with the Heavenly Father. We are His people And above all, he brings us into judgment. But why us? Does that not seem confusing? Does it not seem more fitting that the psalmist should say that God is coming into the world in order to judge his enemies? Wouldn't it make more sense that that God is coming into the world with all of his light and all of the glory of the dawn and all the radiance that he brings in order to humble his foes? Not according to Asaph. According to Asaph, God's purpose in coming in judgment is to gather us. To gather we who know Christ and have seen Christ sacrifice for our sins. This is what points us then to Peter in the book of Hebrews. You see, our Father loves us. And so he chastises us. Our Father loves us. And so he disciplines us. Our God comes into the world with a radiant light that horrifies all the darkness in the depths of our heart because He loves us and He knows that that darkness is destroying us. Our God comes to us with justice and righteousness and holiness. Not that we should be terrified, but that we should be sanctified. He comes to gather His people And to judge us fearsomely and fearfully. Because he knows it's for our good. My brother owned a motorcycle. Several in fact. One of which he laid down on its side at 55 miles an hour. And was drug along the road. Thankfully he was wearing protective gear. Do you know how you heal someone whose body is full of rocks from having been drugged along the road at 55 miles an hour? You scratch the rocks out of the flesh with steel. That agony is necessary to heal the body. And the metaphor holds for sanctification. Our God comes with illuminating wrath And red hot judgment. Not because he wishes to terrify us into hiding like cockroaches in the corner. But because he knows that the fearsome perspective of looking within and seeing the sinner we really are. Is that essential yet agonizing first step to being saved. It's at this point Asaph puts a silah. He says stop. And if I could interpret this Selah a little farther than I normally do, I might word it this way. Beloved, you're about to hear the judge of all the universe speak to you in judgment. There's the door and this is your opportunity. Here's your Selah. Stop and think. Do you really want to look in the mirror? Do you really want to see who you really are? 
Because Psalm 50 is about to show you what's in your heart. And it's not pretty. Notice in verses 7 through 13. That God of all the universe rises like the dawn. With glorious light all about him. And he shines his spotlight right down on his church. Right down on his own people. And in verses 7 through 13. He testifies to us. He rebukes us. But he says in verse 8, not for your sacrifices or burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I do not rebuke you for your religious practice. You are the faithful ones who show up every Sunday morning. You are the faithful ones who fill the pews every Lord's Day. You are the diligent religious practitioners. I do not rebuke you for your fourth commandment violations. I do not rebuke you for being faithful in loving me and continually being before me presenting the sacrifice. Instead, he gives a soft rebuke. But I will not take a bull or a goat. For every beast is mine in the cattle of a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and all the beasts of the field are mine. What God here is gently saying to his people is, I'm rebuking you for believing that your worship is necessary for me. As if you owed me, as if I owed you, as if our covenant relationship was somehow established by your religious performance. It may be helpful to illustrate this point by turning to New Testament sacrifices. You see, in the New Testament, we are given sacrifices to offer. Not bulls, not goats, not rams and lambs, but in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we are told by the Apostle Paul, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. In Hebrews, we are told that we are to present praise, the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says that our gifts to one another are sacrifices that are a pleasing aroma to God. My friends, do we not continually fall prey to the self-righteous ambition that believes that my praise, my self-denial, my self-sacrifice somehow makes God more happy with me? Are we not continually tripped up by the self-righteous belief that our religious performance somehow adds to the righteousness of Christ? It is this that God rebukes His people for. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. I don't need to be fed by you. He is worshipped endlessly by all the hosts of heaven. He is worshipped endlessly by all the glory and the beauty of the creation. He does not need our sacrifice of praise as if he lacked glory. He does not need our sacrifice of mutual service one to another as if he wasn't wealthy enough to care for the poor and the widow and the orphan. It is not his insufficiency that grounds our call to sacrifice for others. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? No, indeed. God does not need us to perform righteousness in order to somehow make his life better. 
It is our self-righteous expectations that we must beware. We must beware the idea that our sacrifice somehow atones for our sin. Have you guys felt that guilt settle in? That sorrow for sin and you think to yourself, you know what, next time I'll do better. Have you been tormented by that roller coaster ride of sanctification? In which you descend into the depths of guilt and shame and say, I will never get better. In which you then climb to the very top of the next hill and say, I will do better. And God says to us, your righteous performance does not add to the righteousness of Christ. Do you not know that in the very depths of your sin, I say to you, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And do you not know that when you are crawling to the very heights of your perfection, I am saying to you, oh, wicked sinner, I love you and I have died for you. My friends, God rebukes his people when he comes in judgment for trusting themselves, for trusting their self-righteousness, for trusting their religious performance. Please, let us leave it. Let us get ready for the judgment of God by trusting the righteousness of Christ and not our own, not our performance. But secondly, in verses 14 and 15, Asaph warns us. God speaks to us and says, not only are we constantly driven to using our religiosity in an arrogant fashion by which we perform self-righteous acts that we think will satisfy God, but in verses 14 and 15, we instead leave off the grateful dependence which He longs for. You see, God wants from us a grateful dependence. Verse 14, offer to God thanksgiving. You know what he loves more than dead animals? Gratitude. Gratitude. You know what he loves more than psalms sung in harmony, a cappella, and beautiful and glorious? Faith in the words that you are singing. In a few minutes, we will sing an unfamiliar psalm. And we probably won't sound awesome. And you know what will matter far more? Is if you sing it in faith. This is not to diminish the need to sing with skill. That's a command in the scriptures. Sing skillfully. But it is to heighten the expectation of God that we should offer the sacrifice of praise not as some self-righteous performance, but as a gratitude to God. Let us sing because we are thankful to Him. In like manner, pay your vows to the Most High. This is a phrase that's a little more unfamiliar to us. Pay our vows. We know how to give thanks. We say thanks and give a thumbs up. But it's a little more weird to pay our vows. This refers to the act of rendering service to God in worship. Pay your vows by serving one another. You have all taken vows, vows of membership, vows of marriage, vows of citizenship. Keep your promises, live with integrity and faithfulness. Call upon me in the day of trouble. In this, God says, depend on me and I will deliver you. It is this departing from the self-righteous religion 
In which we humble ourselves and say to God, you are my deliverer. That the psalmist points us and gives us delight in the things that are to come. Beloved, we have a great gospel. Not in which we are urged to say, do better, do better, do better. That's the path. We are instead told, depend more. Trust more. Lean on Christ and do not despair. He is your righteousness. And here he is said to be your deliverer. In times of trouble, let us not turn to our own strength. But out of gratitude for all the deliverance we have already tasted, let us instead trust anew the deliverance that is yet to come. It is extraordinary to me that after all our long life, every day is a chance and a trial to find if we trust God. Have you not found this to be the case? That every single story through which you have gone in which you have found God a great deliverer, You yet find another story in which you go, okay, but what about this one? I feel that in 12 years of pastoral ministry, that's the relentless tale. You know what? He was faithful here, but will he be faithful here? He was faithful in church planting. Will he be faithful in pandemic? He's been faithful in pandemic. Will he be faithful when the pandemic seems endless? He has been faithful when times are good. Will he be faithful when times are bad? Is there a dependence on God that cannot be shaken? This is the second. Do you depend on God? He is coming to judge. He is coming with wrath. He is illuminating the darkness of our heart and he is warning us. Beware the self-righteous religiosity. But secondly, beware the lack of dependence. Be needy, be humble, be poor. Cry out to God as Father, and you shall glorify Him for deliverance. But then thirdly, verses 16 through 20, Asaph warns us. God speaks to us and says, Beware the hypocritical unrighteousness to which we are prone. As a preacher, it is stunning to me That the hour of temptation that is most fierce in my week is the 60 minutes after you guys all go home this afternoon. I cannot begin to tell you the level of spiritual assault every preacher undergoes Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening. I suspect you all have the same hour. In which you begin to reflect these verses. To the wicked, God says, What right do you have to declare my statutes or to take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? You know, there was a day when we came here for worship and we would pass out bulletins. You guys remember that? Little yellow, white kind of piece of paper folded in half. They had, you know, the order of worship in one side. You guys remember what I'm talking about? Long time ago. Do you know what many of you did with bulletins? You'd leave them in the pews. You'd leave them on the floor. You'd leave them in the bathroom. And you know what God warns us of here? Bulletins are okay. We can clean up after that. We too often leave the sermon we just heard in the pews. And on the floor and in the bathroom. 
We walk out that door and we cast his words behind our back. And we lock them up inside 53 Antrim Street. And off into the world we go. We see a thief in consent. We partake with adulterers. Our mouths speak evil, our tongues frame deceit. We sit and speak against our siblings. We slander our siblings. God says to us, beware the unrighteousness of which we are guilty. Not only are we a people prone to seeing our religious performance as a self-righteous claim to the favor of God. Not only are we a people prone to trust our own strength, our own wisdom, and to leave off depending on God. But friends, we are a people prone to be so holy Sunday morning. And to be so wholly sinful Monday through Saturday. Can you relate to this? Am I the only one entirely undone by this psalm? What right have you to take my decrees into your mouth? Who are you to sing Psalm 50? You know you're not going to obey it. Why would you stand up and sing this psalm? Why would you stand up and preach this psalm? Indeed, these things you have done, he says in verse 21, and I have kept silent. But I will rebuke you. He comes full circle. He's, he's climbing out of this horrific mirror with which the illuminating light of his judgment has exposed us altogether. And all we can say at the end of verse 20 is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6. Woe is me, I am undone. Is this not who you are? Is this not who we are? A people who come. A people who worship. A people who give a sacrifice of praise. A people who give our bodies a living sacrifice. A people who are gathered together as living stones to present spiritual sacrifices to God. And yet in all this, self-righteousness lingers. Selfish independence lingers. Wickedness and unrighteousness lingers. How then can we sing Psalm 50? How then can we rejoice in Psalm 50? Well, God, in verse 21, has set all these things in order before our eyes for a reason. He has not drug us through this agony because he hates us. No, he says, I have set these things in order before you. I have rebuked you for these three things because, verse 22, I want you to consider this. I want you to consider that you have forgotten God. You have forgotten that He exists. You have forgotten that He is coming to judge. You have forgotten Monday through Saturday. You have forgotten Sunday. You have forgotten He is a God of wrath and of holiness and of justice. And He will come and tear you to pieces and none will deliver. This isn't getting better, is it? He will come with wrath and with justice. Vengeance is His. He will repay. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Are you desperate yet? Are you longing for relief yet? Do you want to know when the psalmist will let up and give you good news? Look at verse 23. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show him the salvation of God. 
Let me make just two points about this verse. One, he says that there is salvation for those who order their conduct aright. Don't you dare interpret that as self-righteous obedience to the law. He just tore that thing apart. What does it mean to order your conduct aright according to Psalm 50? It means to depend entirely on the grace of God. Self-righteousness will do you no good. He's coming to judge it. Unrighteousness will do you no good. He's coming to judge it. He has just declared for 22 verses, depend on me. Come to me, little children. I will forgive you and I will welcome you home. Order your conduct aright. Leave off your self-righteousness. Leave off your pride. Leave off your sin and selfish ambition. Come, order your conduct aright. That means humble yourself and call on Him and He will deliver you. It means pray. It means say, Father, forgive me. And guess what He promises to do? This is my second and final point for this verse. I will show the salvation of God. Do you know how to say that phrase in Hebrew? Do you know how to say that phrase in Greek? The salvation of God is literally translating the word Yeshua. I will show you Jesus. Your salvation. Here is good news, my friends. The day of judgment will come. This is good news. How could it be good news that the God of vengeance, the God of wrath, should come with holy glory and bring us into judgment for all our sin? How could that be good news? Because that's the day you see Jesus. And that's the best news you could hear. The day of judgment for you who believe is the day you see Jesus. I will show you Jesus. Beloved, God is coming to judge. God is coming to judge His people. Let's get ready. Let's get ready by trusting Jesus. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you do not spare us the painful truths we so desperately need to hear. We give you thanks that you love us enough to turn our eyes to the sinfulness of our soul, that we might in turn see the greatness of the grace of our Savior. We give you thanks that you have exposed our self-righteousness, that we might trust only in the righteousness of Christ. We give you thanks that you have exposed our arrogant independence. That we might learn to depend on Christ. We give you thanks that you have exposed our wanton wickedness. That we might learn to repent and to seek Christ. Our Father, we pray that this day you would teach us to trust Jesus. That you would draw us to Jesus and give us joy in our Jesus. 
We pray, especially as we come to the supper now, that we would indeed behold that you have fulfilled this psalm in our hearing. That as the bread and the cup are displayed before us, we shall see the salvation of God. As we behold and discern the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would grant us such faith as to believe these things. We pray that you would grant us obedience to these things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.